This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio. It's the show about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill, and I'm with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Hello, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Liz. How are you this morning? I'm doing fantastic. How about yourself? Doing great, and I'm so excited about this show. It's always it's always fantastic to have Ron Rushlock on the show. Uh, he is, I, I should tell you, he was just appointed this year a distinguished professor. Uh, there are only eight professors at our university that have that title. It's the highest uh, professorial, professorial title that the university bestows. And, and it shows, you know, uh, what a great resource Ron is for this university, for this state. And, Ron, one of your areas of expertise is it's always great to welcome you to the show, and I appreciate you being on. But one of your areas of expertise is gaming law. You have so many areas that you, you've written in. Uh, besides that, we've had you on the show for those. Why are you interested in gaming law? Thank you, Richard. It's great to talk to you again. And um, I, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I got a little feedback. Um, you know, not seeing you all uh, all summer is weird since you're right down the hall normally. But uh, gaming law for me became actually uh, an interest back in the 1980s when I was working in Chicago. And we had a, um, a client, the Bally's, the people who made the pinball machines. And they had an issue with a, an emerging um, lottery in the state of Illinois that wanted to have online games. And essentially, my job came down to trying to figure out how do you uh, make a law that will prohibit illegal poker machines but not touch Pac-Man and, and, and you know, fun amusement games. And I spent a long time doing that work. And when I got into uh, academia and it's publisher parish, I said, this is something I know about that no one else knows about. And it's been a fascinating area uh, throughout my career. Well, and you literally wrote the book on gaming law, and so we're, we're very lucky to have you on the show today. And it's always an interesting topic. You know, I, I, it's something I think most of us don't think about in terms of the law involved in gambling. But generally, how do you think COVID-19 has impacted on gambling uh, in our state and nationwide? Well, it's been really fascinating um, to, to watch the, the impact. I mean, you, you know, I mean, it's sad in many ways, but but to watch an industry adapt the way the gaming industry has. Um, I was in Las Vegas, and, and by the way, th despite this as an area of uh, study for me, I'm not a gambler. I was not in Las Vegas to gamble, but I was in Las Vegas actually for a, a moot court team uh, that uh, the law school sent a team out to compete at UNLV. But I was out there uh, the week before everything shut down, and and uh, we were just beginning to hear about this, and we went to a show where there was an Elvis impersonator. Instead of hugging people, he bumped elbows. That was the thing at the time uh and um 
this is it gambling it, it is such a personal relationship sitting at a table for hours with people uh trying to do that stuff it, it, that, that's that's a, a very dangerous scenario so las vegas and every place pretty much shut down the in-person type gambling and then they've come back now with uh i don't know if anybody's seen them but there's there you can look online and you can find these plexiglass partitions that uh, allow you to sit at a poker table and put your hands through holes almost like you're in a, a, a nuclear you know, surgery kind of thing where people are, are on the other side of a shield and uh, so they can reach the cards or there of course there are virtual things without where you don't even touch the cards but the, the, all of these uh, things to try to accommodate uh, a uh, the, the customers customers that obviously have some very driving urges to to want to continue to gamble um but we've we've seen that we've seen sports betting has just come uh to mississippi and many other states in the last couple of years uh which is interesting i mean th this would have been uh, a summer where we would have seen uh, uh, i think a lot of growth in terms of, of betting on baseball and other games and that all got shut down so it's uh, it's been fascinating to watch uh, i think uh, we see some of the, the best and some of the worst aspects of gambling in terms of very consumer-oriented, innovative, uh, creative ways to try to service a clientele, but then you've also worry about people who can't walk away from the table as easily as you think maybe they should be able to. It's so interesting you raise that because I know liquor stores, I, I, I heard that uh, liquor stores were considered essential uh, businesses, in part because uh, the states were worried about people that had alcohol uh, problems, uh, all the way up to alcohol, alcoholism, and that uh, you know needed to have that source of of, of their uh, drug, basically. And, and and it seems like you know that that also happens in gambling as well. Well, you know, it, uh, it, I think it does, and I think, and, and probably in both cases, people always find a way. There are um, illegal ways to bet still, despite the large number of legal ways to gamble. There's, there's, there's always, you and I can, can bet in our backyard or in the basement playing poker or whatever, but there are online ways to gamble, and there, there are still bookies that exist throughout town, so I'm told. I've never actually had one or <laughs> dealt with one, but... But, uh, you know, there are ways uh, if you're so driven. But one of the ideas of legalized gambling is to try to undercut that, to try to be able to, to control that, to stop the illegality, which, you know, frankly, uh, gambling proceeds have traditionally funded some worse crimes. I mean, you, you might look at, at gambling as a, a victimless matter and and it's, it's only people who want to do it. But there are entities that make money off of things like gambling and then use it for worse purposes so the the, the legal industry is really trying to uh to take away from that kind of uh, misuse of money it's it's so interesting so what are some i mean if i if i am uh, uh someone and i can't get to a casino because of of the pandemic are, what are, are are there lawful outlets for gaming? You mentioned yeah, poker in in uh, in, in my backyard, uh, socially distancing. Um, but could are there are there outlets? Well, in most states, uh, the small level uh, social gambling is permissible. That's not true in every state. Arkansas, it's not. Tennessee, it's not. Uh, but but there are. Um, uh, 
in most places you could have a friendly poker game for low stakes. Um, the online, so this is the thing that always intrigues me because I speak at a lot of law schools about gambling issues. And um, I'll ask how many people have gambled online and, and a lot of people will acknowledge it. And I said, do you realize that almost certainly it's illegal what, what they've done? Uh, there are four states that have uh, a form of online uh, gambling within that state. Um, it's Nevada, New Jersey, uh, Pennsylvania, and I think Delaware. Um, but only those states have any legal online gambling. But you wouldn't know that if you if you Googled right now, you know, online casinos, there'd be a bunch that would pop up and they would look absolutely lawful. And they might be lawful in an island nation where they are run from, but it's a violation of state law in, in Mississippi and virtually every other state and also federal law because of uh, interstate commerce involved in uh, going across state lines. So. Uh, online gambling, you're probably not going to be prosecuted. They go after the operators, not the, the users. But online gambling is not legal. That's so fascinating because it does seem like, you know, they're, it's prevalent. I mean, I, you know, I know uh, you can get to those casinos in the Caribbean online. Um, I've never done it. And I'm like you. I, I well, not. I'm just not a big gambler. I, I, I work really hard for my money. I don't want to just give it away. I don't really care to do that. We um, sound like a bunch of deniers. Oh, yes, there's gambling, but no, no, I don't do it. I Oh, I've never done it. <laughs> if, uh, if you would like to comment and be a part of our show, we're talking about gambling laws this morning with our guest, Professor Ron Rischlock. And Liz, you know, I really, I don't want to make fun of gambling because I, I do understand the entertainment aspect of it. Um, my, life, my wife still laughs at me because we went to a casino in, in New Jersey, which is where she was from originally, and she wanted to show me around Atlantic City, uh, kind of her old stomping grounds a little bit. And uh, I, I sat down at a table. I had no idea what I was doing. I quickly lost $20 and said, that's enough. But, I can, you know, I could see the entertainment, but... It, there, you know, it's also uh, there's concern, I think, about um, about the addiction part of it. Now, now, Ron, you speaking of which, I mean, I don't know if this is an addiction thing, but you sent a great story in preparing for the, st- the show about uh, someone who um, got funds fraudulently under the Paycheck Protection Program, which is a covid relief uh, program. Uh, he got about nine million dollars, I understand. And, and then he went and gambled that money. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's money for employers to to pay employees who are laid off because of the COVID virus thing, and uh, not all of it, but a large amount of it. He went and and he gambled away, and I I think that is telling about the uh, the pull that that uh, gambling can have on some people. That that that, that it just. Um, uh, it, there's an allure and a hope of winning, uh, but real serious gamblers um, like gambling even when they lose. And, you know, r- real fishermen like to fish even if they're not catching anything. Um, it, 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 it's uh, the, 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 there's a drive that that uh, uh, seems to catch people, and it, it's a serious concern for the industry. And when I, I uh, probably 20 years ago or so. Uh, fairly still new in the industry, getting to know people, uh, they were looking real serious at the cigarette situation, um, where 
where you, you have a product and it's a product that you want to make available to people and you're making money off of it, but you understand if it goes too far, it can all backfire on you. And gambling didn't want to get to that level. They want to get to that point. So they have worked pretty hard to try to have various self-exclusion and have uh, help, you know, 1-800 numbers and, and all kinds of ways to help people avoid developing problems and overcome it. So it, it's sort of you know, like playing with fire. We know you, you, it's fun to play with fire, but we want you to be super careful. So it's, it's a, it's a tough, uh, it's not an easy thing for an industry. You know, I, they're good. I know a lot of people in the industry, good people who, um, uh, you know, want to have a professional, well-run organization and business. Um, they're aware that some people will succumb to uh, the allure of, of problem gambling, and they try to identify that and watch out for that. But at the same time, they're, they're folks who are going to exploit that and, and, and try to suck every penny they can away. So you got, you got to watch out for that. We're going to continue our discussion of gambling in Mississippi with our guest, Ron Rischlock, professor of law at the University of Mississippi School of Law. Hey, did you hear last weekend's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me? And what does that have to do with this week's In Legal Terms? I'm going to tell you next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is Malcolm White. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Every week we talk with visual artists, musicians, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcast app. This is In Legal Terms. Not everyone has a chance to listen to our whole show live. If you've missed any of our program, you can find the show at inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill, and I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Now, on the Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR and MPB radio program that was broadcast July 18th, 2020. It's also available as a podcast. They had guest Maria Kornakovia. I want to make sure I'm not saying the tennis player's name. Anyway, she's a journalist and a writer who took up competitive poker playing as research for her book. And I'm not even doing quotation marks on the research for her book. It's currently on the New York Times bestseller list, The Biggest Bluff, How I Learned to Pay Attention, Master Myself and Win. And she moved during the coronavirus pandemic lockdown from her home in New York to New Jersey, and as our guest just said, uh, New Jersey, where online poker is real. This morning, we are talking about gambling with leading law expert 
Ron Richlock, Distinguished Professor of Law at the University of Mississippi School of Law and the Jamie L. Witten Chair of Law and Government and Faculty Athletic Representative. Right, and it, it really is a pleasure having Ron on. Um, and, and, you know, he speaks across the country on lots of different subjects. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, one of them being gaming law. And, Ron, you mentioned that, and, and Liz was just talking about the fact that online gambling is, is illegal in most states. Um, so it's not legal in Mississippi. What, what types of illegal online gambling are available? I, I hate to be so naive, but I really don't know about all the ones that exist. Well, just about everything. I mean, there are virtual casinos you can go in and you can play blackjack or poker. You know, th- by the way, the the one uh, that I would call gambling that is legal in most places is, uh, and not in every state, but most states now have legalized uh, daily sports, uh, uh, daily fantasy sports, um, where you... Uh, some people may be familiar with fantasy sports where you pick a football team or a baseball team and you kind of manage your team through the year. And at the end of the year, there's, you know, you may have each thrown in 10 bucks and at the end you can get money out. Uh, you can do that on a day by day basis with uh, draft King and FanDuel, a couple of entities that do that. And when they first started, they were illegal under virtually every state law, but they got up and running before people figured that out. And then they lobbied the state legislatures, uh, and most states, including Mississippi, ended up legalizing that. So there is, uh, and, and they legalize it by saying it's not really gambling because it's a game of skill instead of a game of chance. Um, but uh, under, I think, a, I think there's a serious argument that it would meet the traditional definition of gambling, but it's legal uh, in most states. So that's one thing that is le- legal. You know, if you deal with the illegal uh, casinos, the, the island casinos, the ones offshore, uh, there is the risk, and it has happened, where you've got a lot of money on, you know, deposited in your account, and they just close down and they're gone tomorrow. I mean, that's a risk you take. So interesting. Now, you mentioned that this whole thing about a game of skill versus a game of chance. I, when, when FanDuel won their, their case, I think they litigated it in New York originally because if they had been shut down in New York, that would have been it. Um, I, I, how is that different? I mean, how is that? I, you know, I think about these uh, poker, uh, you know, world poker tour uh, gamblers who are really pretty skilled. And I think they would argue that what they're doing is less about gambling and more more about skill, but that's called gambling. So how how do they yeah. distinguish? How do they distinguish? Well, there's you know, I tell you, states have gone different ways on on different things, and it's it's gambling is virtually entirely a matter of state law. So they've gone different ways, but the history of it is what fascinates me. You can go back to uh, the time of the Crusades when. Richard the Lionhearted is uh, taking his men to Jerusalem on the Crusades, and he sends uh, orders to the men to put down the cards, put down the dice, quit gambling. Uh, However, it was okay to wager on uh, skills of war, horse racing, archery, foot racing, wrestling, things like that. And and really, the, the, the split traces back at least that far to a point where they wanted to encourage certain skills. And so if it was a skill that you were developing and you wanted to wager on it, that was acceptable. 
But if it's strictly a game of chance, you know, cards or dice, uh, or, or which is not developing some some valuable um, ability for for the army or, or the society, whatever, uh, that's illegal. And so that split has been around at least since the Crusades. We are talking this morning about gambling with leading law expert Ron Rischlack, professor of law at the University of Mississippi School of Law. We'd love for you to participate uh, either with a question about Mississippi's gaming laws or, hey, if we've got any Coast listeners, tell us what's going on at the casinos. Give us a visual picture of what it looks like. I've heard that they removed some of the machines so that they're socially distant apart. Uh, tell us what the tables look like. We'd love a, a bird's eye view from from what you've experienced and no judging because it is all legal and we do hope that uh, people do continue to gamble and it fills the coffers at the Department of Revenue. Ron, I have a question that's not on the, the list of questions I sent you, so I hope this didn't catch up. But, you know, the other thing that I've always found interesting were raffles. And it seems like, uh, you know, raffles, as far as I understand, are generally not lawful. But I guess and if you're bingo, well, it's bingo. But if you're a not for profit, my understanding is you can uh, hold a raffle or uh, bingo. Well, yeah, and that's a great question. And, you know, that ties into the lottery. We haven't mentioned the Mississippi lotteries now. But the tradition of uh, charitable gaming is with, with bingo and lottery, uh, sweepstakes, uh, raffles would fall under, uh, is that um, they are regulated separately. They're regulated separately uh, in Mississippi. They have different regulations you have to fall under. Because we have some places where there are weekly bingo games a charity might run a weekly bingo game if they do that it's pretty highly regulated and they have to keep uh they do have to report they have to keep records they have to re- they are uh, it, it's run almost like a business they got to make sure the money is in fact being used for proper purposes and such if you have if a charity has once a year a uh, raffle type thing, uh, maybe once a year, a casino night. Some places used to have that. I don't know if they have those anymore now that there are casinos everywhere. But uh, a once a year kind of thing, I, I think that that can be done really without regulation. The charities can can have one a year. Um, but uh, if you try to do something on a real regular basis, it's regulated too. So it is it's regulated, but it's regulated under a separate uh, provision of the Mississippi Code. Yeah, I regulation. Think so. We, I, I know we've had student groups that wanted to do uh, uh, raffles and things like that, and it always makes me a little bit concerned, that, or, you know, to make sure that we're not violating some law by having them do do a raffle. Um, Look at yeah. you being all law-abiding, Professor Gershon. <laughs> well, they, they wanted to have a poker uh, tournament or, or night a, a couple years ago, and they came to me, and they had it all worked out and everything. I said, yeah, I don't think I can sign off on this. <laughs> We are talking with Ron Rischleck, professor of law at the University of Mississippi School of Law, about gambling laws of our state. What if someone you know has a gambling problem? I'm going to give you some information about that next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert. I'm Liz Gill. We hope that you'll subscribe to our podcast. There's so many different podcasting platforms out there for Androids. Uh, Apple products have their very own that comes pre-installed, but for Android, you need to download one. I happen to use Podcast Addict. I put it on my phone. I touch the plus that takes me to the page to search for podcasts because I think they're about uh, 7 billion. Um, I typed in in legal terms in the search area. It brings up our show, and I was able to touch the photo of in legal terms, then subscribe if you choose to, and it notifies me when any new episodes are loaded up. This morning, we're talking about the gambling laws of Mississippi with our guest, Ron Rishlock, professor of law at the University of Mississippi School of Law. We do want to remind folks that the Mississippi Mississippi Council on Problem and Compulsive Gambling is dedicated to helping the community respond to those individuals and families devastated by addictive gambling. So if you or someone you know has a gambling problem, their toll-free helpline is 1-888-777-9696. And all calls are strictly confidential. We do have a phone call this morning, and this is Daniel, if that's his real name. Thanks for calling in to uh, In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question? Yeah, I was just curious if the uh, current Mississippi lottery laws allowed for banks to do no-lose lotteries. I've heard of banks in other states doing this where they run a program, whether it's six months or a year, uh, people can deposit their money into their savings account or a savings account associated with this program every time they make a deposit of a certain amount they get an entry into a drawing and at the end of the program the interest is awarded to the winner of that lottery but everybody that has contributed to it still gets what they contributed to it just minus their interest so that it would encourage savings um and I guess it it just be an all-around good program with the potential to have a nice big payout. If I can address, you're not one of my former students, are you? Because I had a student write a paper on this very topic about about a year or so ago. Okay, well, it it was a fascinating paper and it's a fascinating concept. And uh, when Mississippi was looking at whether to move into having a lottery, back we didn't have one, a student wrote this paper, and we tried to send it on to uh, you know, lawmakers in the state as a possible alternative to a traditional lottery. Uh, it's uh, it, it, and it's um, been used in a few other nations, at least uh, maybe some other states, but I know a few other nations where they where they do that, and and essentially. Uh, every ticket you buy, your your money is saved in your account. Uh, you won't earn the interest because the interest will go to the winner, but uh, you don't really lose money. And the, the idea is it is designed to 
reduce the the, the gambling fever and, and the risk associated with buying tickets, but still kind of make saving fun. I think it's a pretty neat idea. Uh, I think technically right now at this point, if, if I were to evaluate it, I, I think you'd probably want to have some changes made to Mississippi law to authorize that because it would look a, it looks a little too close to gambling. If I'm a bank, I'm a license holder. One thing I always tell my students, when you're a licensee of the state, you've got to do more than just make sure you don't violate criminal laws. You've got to be really well within the law because a license can be pulled for something um, less than a, a criminal violation. So I, if I were a bank, I probably wouldn't try that. But I think it's it's a neat idea. Uh, I, I think I thought it was a, a, a really interesting paper my student wrote. And by the way, I'm, I want to brag for just a moment on my students from uh, 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 with this past uh, semester. There's a, a national publication, the, the uh, uh, Gaming Law Review, which I'm on the editorial board, but that's really didn't influence this, this matter. Three students uh, submitted papers that were all published in the current issue of the Gaming Law Review. The only three issues, the only three articles in the in the issue, uh, and uh, I've never had that before, where the entire issue basically is made up of students who were writing in my class. It's a tremendous accomplishment for those students. Uh, I'm very proud of them, and uh, it's uh, it's interesting for me to teach a class like this, where students will find ideas, like a caller just brought to us, write about them, and I get to learn from the, the research my students do. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a great gig I figured out here. <laughs> Thanks, Daniel. We appreciate you calling in and adding to our conversation. Thank you. Uh, papers being published. And, and, you know, Daniel raised a great question about lotteries. Uh, and Mississippi was kind of late coming to the game in terms of uh, having a state lottery and allowing it uh, to, to happen. What was the reluctance to move? We had casino gambling, so what was the reluctance to, to add this lottery, do you think? Well, I, I could go through a lot of arguments against lotteries. I mean, I, I actually, uh, if you ask me, I think having casinos, a free market kind of thing, I kind of like having government run a gambling operation, in essence running what used to be called a numbers game. Uh, I have serious concerns. With, so if, any, if anybody asked me, I, I thought we had it right when we had casinos, but not uh, a lottery, um, but there's, there's just too much uh, attraction for having the, um, uh, the the money go directly to the state, and that, that's so. It, it, that's why one state after another after another fell uh, into uh, using them. And there there comes a point when all of your neighboring states have lotteries, and then you see money is going out, it's flowing out of the state. Uh, there's again some great history back around the turn of the previous century when there was only one legal state lottery in the nation, it was Louisiana, and uh, half of the mail coming in and out of New Orleans was Louisiana lottery related, and it became known as the serpent that infected across the nation the gambling spirit and took federal legislation to shut down the Louisiana lottery. And uh, most states, including Mississippi, had in their constitution, we will never authorize a state lottery. It required amending the constitutions of all the states to uh, go to lotteries. Lot lotteries have a very tainted history. Um, they're popular today. Maybe we figured out how to do it right. It's so interesting. I, I really, I, you know, I hate to speak badly about the lottery, but I, I kind of think it's a tax, isn't it? I mean, you, you are mostly going to lose, and that money will go to the state. But, you know, it does raise money. And I know Florida and Georgia have both done really well in their education programs because of the 
revenues uh, that they got from the lottery. But it's it's definitely spotty. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, you can get, it can be a tax, but it's a tax on the willing only. If you don't buy a ticket, you're not paying taxes. I mean, that's the, the other side of it, you know. But uh, I, I do remember I actually had a, a, a letter published in Newsweek magazine years and years ago when California introduced its lottery for education. Its spending per uh, student went down the following year because they just reallocated the funds. So it doesn't always lead to the purposes that it's supposed to. Well, I know uh, I have family in Arkansas, and when they got the lottery, they had all of their lottery money going to a separate, a brand new fund for scholarships that hadn't already been funded, so they didn't take anything away. But I'm wondering, has around the country have, I guess, has the lottery's amount taken in less money because, you know, for a couple of months, nobody could go out and buy things, I guess, maybe except at uh, grocery stores and things. Des, do you know if Mississippi has noticed a, a downturn on the amount people have been spending on the lottery? I, I have not seen those those statistics. I, I don't. I, it would seem logical that it might might be down, but on the other hand, they're often sold at convenience stores and gas stations where people. I guess we're going to gas stations a little less often, but boy, there probably is access to if you wanted to get there. Yeah. Now, you know, you you've also talked about on previous shows uh, moving away from the lottery and thinking past the beyond the pandemic when we can all go back out again and live somewhat normal lives and. You know, your faculty athletics representative and, and sports gambling has been now made legal. What are what are some of your concerns about that going forward? Well, yeah, I mean, that's um, there, there's a whole can of worms, particularly for colleges and universities. Um, when students up and down the hallway from the star quarterback uh, can and are legally betting on the game that weekend, um, and uh, when when gambler, we've, there's always been underground gambling and the risk of of um, uh, mob type guys leaning on key players, and it's happened a number of times, particularly in college basketball, it's been probably the most vulnerable uh, sport. Um, suddenly now it, it's at a whole new level, and I think all of the colleges and universities and pretty frankly the, the pro teams too are worried about the impact and worried about uh, how do we um, monitor how do we make sure that number one our, our players are not taken advantage of number two that we maintain the integrity of our sport because if you lose that if you become uh, uh, I mean that essentially is what happened with highlight in Florida which is a very popular sport if uh, you're old as old as me you remember back in the days of uh, uh, Don Johnson and, and um, the uh, Miami Vice show, the original Miami Vice show, and everybody was going to highlight. It was the cool thing. Well, it, it became corrupt and it became a situation. It was a gambling sport. That's what it was. And when people lost faith in the integrity of the sport, the whole thing collapsed. Um, you know, how do you how do you protect your players? How do you in, in, in protect the integrity of the game? Those are very serious concerns uh, across the board. At first, a lot of the programs hope to get some money out of it, an integrity fee. They they called it, tried to maybe get one percent uh, to beef up their their uh, programs for their additional concerns. That's pretty much failed across the board. So now instead, it's it's a lot of education, a lot of uh, 
communication. I will say that this, the uh, universities here in Mississippi met with the Gaming Commission, established a line of communication. We um, created, uh, you're probably familiar with the concept of a black book, people barred from at least certain areas of the casino. We got all of our athletes and all the employees who work around athletes barred from entering the uh, sports book area of Mississippi casinos. So I literally, literally took my class on a field trip to Tunica last year, and we got a tour through the casino, and I got to the edge of the sports book, and I had to tell guys, you know, technically I'm not allowed to walk in that room, um, and I, I don't, I don't want to get our program in, pro, in, in trouble. I don't think anybody I would have, but on the other hand, I, I didn't walk in the room with my class just because, um, yeah, I, I'm on, I'm on the black, I'm barred from entering there. Well, we have a call. Let's go to Michelle, who has called in from Meridian. Michelle, thanks for being a part of In Legal Terms. What's your comment or question? Uh, a question for y'all, your opinion of what you think about raffles that uh, high school booster clubs hold that give away guns, uh, like 30 guns in 30 days and so forth. Just wanted to know what your feelings were about that. Richard, well, go ahead and talk about that. Well, you know, I even okay, even uh, irrespective of the, the Second Amendment, uh, I just I find that concerning because you know when I do think that does then cut down on the ability to determine who ends up with that gun. You know, that, that person, there, there has to be some kind of check to make sure we're not just uh, having somebody win a gun who is. Uh, a dangerous, dangerous person who's got mental health issues or whatever. I, I, you know, I don't think that's regulated enough. And I think it's one thing to give away, you know, a weekend at a resort, but a gun is something, something different. That's my opinion. Professor Richlock. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I think Richard's points are, are probably well taken. I, although, I, you know, I, I, I'm in a group where they've done that before, where they've raffled off gun, a gun before. Um, again, a, a charity doing something once a year, I think it's, it's legal. The question of, of using a gun uh, with student, high school students in particular, probably is, uh, is something that, that if you ask me, I might say uh, that we m- might find a, a different prize. But um, I'm probably not as um, not quite as anti-gun as, as Richard probably is. Well, my wife does work for Garden and Gun Magazine, so I'm not. I know. That's kind of what I said to you. I wanted to hear what you said. Thanks, Michelle. We appreciate you being part of our show. Now, can you gamble online in Mississippi? I may have a little way around that. I'm going to give you some information next. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. for being part of In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Now, up next is our 11 a.m., Tuesday Southern Remedy Show, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress. In the previous hour, well, during this show, our guest, Ron Rischlock, professor of law at the University of Mississippi School of Law, mentioned that there were only four states that allowed online gambling. But in our previous hour, Money Talks discussed day trading, which Is this online gambling? You may have to listen to the Money Talks podcast and make the call for your by yourself. Our that website for that show is moneytalks.mpbonline.org, and we are talking about gaming law with leading expert Professor Ron Rischlock. And we have a call. Let's go to Greg in Columbus. Greg, thanks so much for being part of in legal terms today. What's your comment or question? Hey, good morning there. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, just mentioned about the gun raffle. I've won several, uh, and here in Columbus, private schools do it. Up in Aberdeen, the Little League does it each year, and it's a wonderful way to uh, raise money. And guns are perfectly legal here in Columbus, or I'm sorry, Mississippi. And of course, everyone uses them for hunting. You can see the kids shoot their deer in the local newspaper, and it's a great thing. Um, but when you win a gun, it's not like you go down to the local uh, school or the Little League office and just pick up your gun. You literally have to go to a, the licensed gun dealer. You have to show your ID. And if I went down there today to buy a gun, they're going to run my uh, Mississippi <coughs> driver's license in there. And I'm either going to come back either approved or not approved. So there's instant background checks. And I just want to make sure no one walks away today thinking those raffles are giving guns to known people who are on that list that they cannot obtain a firearm and i don't know how they put people on that list or whatever but thus far in my life they've always let me buy guns <laughs> but uh, there you go so that's the only comment i wanted to make and uh, thank you once again for taking my call and wish you all a good day well thank you greg we appreciate having that first person perspective if anybody else in the last few minutes of our call of our show want to call and tell us about uh, their first person perspective of being at any of the mississippi casinos we would love to hear how they're handling the pandemic yeah thank you greg for that call and that for that clarification too because that's not i've, I've never been involved in a, a gun raffle so i didn't know how it worked um, but ron let, you know we were talking about sports gambling um and you sent a story that i found so fascinating about uh betting on biometrics of the players could you talk a little bit about that i mean how is that possible no it's a fascinating story so it uh, the um 
I mentioned earlier when sports betting became legal in states other than Nevada for a number of years under federal law, you could really only bet on sports in Nevada. There were a couple minor exceptions, but essentially that was it. Uh, and then a couple years ago, the Supreme Court overturned the law that restricted states like Mississippi from authorizing sports betting. So Mississippi and a number of other states immediately moved to do that. Uh, and then the team started, as I mentioned a moment ago, uh, asking for integrity fee, asking for a cut of this betting. Uh, they have essentially been uh, uh, ineffective in getting state legislatures to go along with that. So then there became the argument over, well, who owns the statistics? Who owns the numbers? Do, do, does the league or do the teams or do the individual players have a right to this data? And now we extrapolate that now with this new argument, if you're sitting at a game, either TV or live, and you're looking at your phone, you're going to be able to bet on whether the next batter gets a single, gets a double, strikes out, whether the next pitch is a ball or a strike, uh, same, you know, basketball, football, any sport like that. And then the article that I sent you talks about what, what about biometrics? What about uh, we're going to be able to trace the, the heartbeat, the breathing rate, of the pitcher, of the of the guy stealing second base, uh, of, of uh, you know any player on the field. What about betting on things like that? Well, people will bet on anything. We've we've seen that. There was even a Seinfeld episode about that, about betting on droplets running down a pane of, of glass on a window. Um, will we be able to? bet on things like biometrics and and who owns that right do, do you own the right to your biometrics and therefore people you're entitled to prevent people from gambling on things like that it's it's an unknown world it's a wide open world but as we move towards and many states already have tennessee very much so mississippi i think it's not going to be too long until you're, you're going to have an app on your phone where you're going to be able to bet on any sport and you're going to be able to bet on, on you know, the, the next play. Are you going to make a first down? Or is the quarterback going to get sacked? Will it be a complete or incomplete? Uh, you're going to be able to bet on things like that. And you're going to, in theory, be able to, to have things like biometrics of individual players. I don't know how far down that line we will go because I don't necessarily see that as actually being that appealing of a bet. Um, but but I, I do see a, an enormous sea change coming when you can sit with your phone, make those kind of bets, and when the casino can message you late in the fourth quarter and say, hey, uh, you, you know, look, it's looking bad right now, but would you like to double down on this bet? Or we know you lost the game earlier today. Here are two games tonight we think you're going to be interested in. And the casino, by the way, is going to know your favorite teams, your favorite players, the kind of bets you like, maybe the kind of beer you like to drink. Um, there, there's an enormous uh, change coming forward once all of that technology is implemented and it's there in your hand as you're watching the game on a Saturday afternoon. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, you, you deal with amateur athletes here and, you know, they're not paid and there are all kinds of rules that the NCAA uh, applies to, to athletic programs. I mean, I, is it fair to the players that someone can bet on their, their plays, their, their, their biometrics, that they're not being compensated at all for well, I mean, they are or they're not. I mean, if we're talking about pros who are being paid, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, you know, what what are are they? It, it, 
are they being paid for that? Uh, and, and even uh, even full scholarship um, co collegiate athletes are, are getting significant benefits. Um, yeah, I, I don't know where you know privacy may stop that. I mean, we may just decide as a society that's a little too far, and that's we don't want to go there. I, frankly, I think that's where we will end up, saying that that's. Uh, um, but you know, there's nothing. If we have those numbers, if somehow you know, TV online starts showing the quarterback's breathing rate and you, you and I are sitting in a, in a living room watching the game, there's nothing to stop you and me from betting on that. If the, if the numbers are given out, people are going to bet on it. Oh, thank you, Professor Ron Rishlock, for being our guest today. We love having you each time that you've been on. That's going to wrap us up for today's In Legal Terms. Our call screener has been Java Chapman and couldn't do without our board engineer in Jackson, Jay White. So for Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill, and we hope that you'll join us next Tuesday for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.